at some point when you're planning a startup, you have to take the leap and ask yourself, eh, what could happen? That's the focus of this podcast as we build a new business in real time. I'm Jen. And I'm Matt. Subscribe to this podcast to find out if we succeed or fail. Let's find out together what could happen. It's very ominous when we uh, do our intro, uh, but it is appropriate, I think. So I'm going to jump right into it. We're going to give you kind of the unvarnished truth of what it looks like to try and create something from nothing. And we really are starting from nothing as far as this business concept goes. So let me just lay out what we're trying to do. So we're in Birmingham, Alabama. It's a small market, um, doesn't have a ton of seed funding in the market. And what I mean by seed funding is kind of pre-revenue funding for startups. We have a lot of growth capital. We have a lot of kind of series A, series B type funding, but nothing in the seed level. So what we're going to do is we are going to try and raise a fund, VC, venture capital fund, for $5 million to specifically fund, find and fund health tech startups and have that play to our strengths here in Birmingham. So that's what we're trying to do. So where would this kind of money come from normally if this fund didn't exist, which is a real case scenario because this fund does not exist? <laughs> As of right now, this does not exist. Correct. This is mental at this point and, and all the definitions mm-hmm. maybe. Um, so it depends. You know, the big funds uh, do thing, get money from other funds. They get money from pensions like uh, the California State um, Teachers and Pension Program, CalPERS. I think it's teachers and pensions. Anyways, one of the biggest contributors, some of the monster funds out in the West Coast. Yeah. You know, t- tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. We're raising $5 million. So likely what we're going to have is we might have some funds that participate, but likely it's going to be high net worth individuals that are what are called um, accredited investors. So people that can uh, claim to have the money to risk, essentially. It's a million dollars, isn't it, that you have to have... In. No, it's a little more complicated. I don't want to bore people with it too much, but basically, it's over a two period. It's over a two year period of household income or a total net worth of liquidity yeah. are two of the measures. And I think there's a couple other ways you can do it, but it, the the reality is, is that most accredited investors only have to self attest to being accredited, which is kind of goofy. Which basically they just say, "I swear I'm accredited." It's the honor system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's not like <laughs> affidavits and stuff like that, but you know, obviously, when we get into the fundraising portion of this, we're, we're going to want to make sure that we really do have accredited investors. Yeah. And we do have background in starting businesses. Right. I have primarily started businesses that are CPG or retail or e-commerce. And for the non-CPG folks, that's consumer packaged goods. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I started a water company uh, in my youth, <laughs> my my youth of 30 years old, yes. uh, which is the new 20, and that before I found out that water is really heavy. and Hard to transport. Fortune to ship. That's correct. Logistics will get you every time, as our buddies up at Dynamo uh, will tell you up in Chattanooga. So I think that's important. I mean, to give people an idea why I got to this point, this is why I didn't just wake up and say, hey, I want a $5 million fund. This is something I've been thinking about in about six different forms, and Jen can attest to that. Um, over the last two and a half, even three years. 
And I ended up at the fund because with Red Hawk, which is our company, um, you know, we work with entrepreneurs pretty much exclusively. And what we found was there just wasn't a lot of capital available kind of pre-revenue seed for um, a lot of those entrepreneurs. And more specifically, we, we see all these recruiting efforts that are happening to bring, um, you know, kind of technical uh, type startups here to Birmingham, but they're not, we're not playing on our strengths and our right. strengths are, we have a massive healthcare system here. That's right. Um, probably the biggest for any, uh, any city this size. Well, it was intentional. So yeah. we are the only rust belt city in the South. We had a massive iron and steel industry that, as you can imagine, has dwindled. And city leaders in uh, 50s, 60s, 70s made a conscious effort to work on banking and healthcare as replacements for that industry. So mm-hmm. the, sort of the, the steel titans became uh, bankers. Yeah. And uh, the healthcare system in particular is incredibly strong here. We have UAB, which is a powerhouse. It's the largest employer in the city. Yeah think in the state it's got hundreds of millions of dollars in research grant money going through it uh-huh. pretty much annually so and endowments and all that good stuff and they are involved with a lot of technical innovation in town but a lot of it is feel-good innovation it's um uh aiming to create cultural capital more than it is actual yeah. capital which is fun i like cultural capital too it's definitely what i like to enjoy on so one of the things that I found when I was doing so so for, so let me take a step back. So I talked I've talked to dozens of people about this over the two three year periods in a bunch of different formats, and I always get the same response, which is that's really great. We should definitely do that, and then nobody actually does it, right? Or people kind of talk about it, or, or there's no execution. Well, why do you think that is? Is there a huge barrier to entry? I mean, so I am the the helper on this project um and if you told me to raise five million dollars without my own venture i would not even begin to know i would start planning a heist (laughs) i would watch the italian job insurance fraud something right (laughs) so i wouldn't even my neck my back (laughs) my neck and my back i don't know i don't know if my neck and my back are worth that much but um, I wouldn't know where to start. So do you think it's a matter of people don't know what to do or they're not motivated? To yeah. So, so it's kind of an interesting thing. So part of it is environmental, right? We're in a, we're in a kind of a risk averse, uh, business community. Let's just call it like it is. Or community. Period. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's true. Um, and, but we are definitely on uh, in Birmingham on the far end of that. We, we, a lot of private investment is, is, works more like banking. So it's, if you want a million dollars, show me that you have $2 million in the bank and I'll give you a million dollars. Like, well, gee, thanks. Um, we don't, we don't venture a lot of that stuff. And that's not to say it doesn't exist. There are folks out there that are doing it. Um, but it just came down to people weren't willing to, to take kind of the, the ball and run with it in what I would call traditional circles. So people who run in high net worth, Places uh, have the background in investment, have the background coming from maybe a growth capital place or or shop or whatever the, the case may be. Just nobody was really interested in doing it. So finally, it just comes down to if you want to do it, maybe you have to do it yourself. Yeah. And that's really where where we've ended up. Um, and I've got some encouragement for some folks that are willing to to be helpful from a planning and uh, networking and connecting standpoint. And that probably led more than anything to the recent motivation to actually start working on this. So as we were talking about it, we decided, hey, wouldn't it be great 
if somebody were willing to be bluntly honest and kind of share this process via a podcast. Uh, and, and I probably foolishly agreed to that. So this is Jen's idea. And if it's terrible, it's her fault. Um, but if it's great, it's her, her idea as well. But I do think it's valuable and I, and I do hope people get a lot out of it. So, um, I, you know, I want to take a step back for just a second and, and, and talk about how we're going about this. One of the things we work with clients on the Red Hawk side all the time is we say, you really have to spend a ton of time testing an idea and seeing if it's going to fly before you do anything with it, right? So right now, I've invested time and resources, but zero capital. That's the honest truth. Are you going to put capital in it? Are you going to be a member of your own fund? I would like to be. Uh, the reality is, is that starting the fund, I'm going to be funding the operation of it, you know, for a period of time. So that's probably going to be my capital investment. Yeah. I'm not an accredited investor by, by typical definition. I've heard it's really easy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can tell you I am. <laughs> and apparently there's no way for you to prove that. Uh, otherwise, if I attest to it, but, um, anyway, so, one of the things that we're doing is we're just getting in that very initial stage. So again, we want to share that with everybody. I, I'll be really honest. It's, I'm pretty intimidated by it. This is totally outside my comfort zone. I've never done this before. I'm not a VC guy. I had a stint in PE in private equity. I understand how it works. I certainly understand how to, to grow businesses and work with businesses and develop businesses from startup through maturity, but I have never raised a fund before. Uh, and so I'm a little freaked out about that. There's no two ways about that. Um, I'm confident that we can do it, but you know, we may get four or five episodes into this podcast series and I go, yeah, it's just not going to work. Right. Or I don't, I can't do it. Well, okay. So a lot of times I like to see if there are examples of the business that you want to start that have been working in other industries or in other geographical areas. So like I know that you're really interested in Chattanooga and you study a lot of what they've been doing up there because they've had some great successes. <laughs> Google Fiber. Um, and Actually, EPB Fiber, to be fair. Oh. Yeah, Google What's came e- after. E- oh, don't ask me what it stands for. It's the big progressive broadband and communications provider right there in Chattanooga. They are phenomenal, and I can't give them enough credit. But you can see the game changer that's been sure. over time. Well, Google Fiber in Huntsville is a huge game yeah, changer. Yeah, fair enough. So... Um, uh, so, are there funds like that in comparable sized cities? Yes. So, this gap is filled in those kind of markets. Yes, but here's the thing. So, I'm glad you brought that up because I was just there, as a matter of fact, studying kind of at the feet of what we're talking about and um, and and finding out exactly what successful funds have done that have raised considerable amounts of money in excess of $5 million. But... Um, what kind of, how their process went and, and, and what they went through and all of those things. And so studying, again, to your point, other kind of mid-market or, you know, kind of tier three cities as far as size um, yeah. and kind of per capita and all, uh, you know, per capita wealth and things like that, <clears throat> they're a good analog. Um, but one of the things that the most successful funds that I've seen have done, have combined a couple of things. One is that they have people that have subject matter expertise in what they're pursuing, whether it's the industry, it's the market, it's the stage of company, whatever the case may be, um, that they're located in a place where they're a built-in customer base. Yeah. So if you're developing health tech, you don't do it in the middle of uh, a health you know, uh, system desert. Right. right? You, you need to do it where you have customers. Uh, and then the third thing is being able to attract um, 
and work with companies that want those partnerships beyond just the financial um, infusion, right? right? So it's not just that they want the cash, they want somebody to work with it. So the model we're building is a guided investment platform, meaning that if somebody comes and works with us and takes money um, as an investment uh, from us, they're also agreeing to work with us where we're actually going to take an active role in the development and management of the company because it is so early stage. Well, I feel like every uh, investor says that when they give you money and then they disappear. Yeah. And you only hear from them when they're mad. Yeah. So there's there's two. That's, a, that's fair. And I think that that happens often. Um, one of the things that was interesting is, in a, in a, and we'll get to this in a second, but kind of some of the stuff that we've done so far. But... In the meetings that I've had so far to, to try to benchmark this and see, you know, am I crazy, right? The am I crazy conversations with people who should know uh, that that segment better than myself. Right. Um, they actually believe that being an operator by trade, right, or having a background as an operator is a massive um, advantage over a lot of funds that tend to be run more by financial gurus kind of with banking backgrounds or investment backgrounds, but not necessarily operational backgrounds. And that's a lot of times where that happens, that scenario you just laid out, which is they want to help, but they don't necessarily know how. And so instead of mucking it up, they're just going to get out of the way, right? And hopefully they've they've kind of won on the buy. There's something about people who have money but have never actually operated anything that (laughs) makes them be so obsessed with um, incremental details that should be 1,000th on your list and matter not at all so that you feel more micromanaged than you did at your worst job <laughs> as an entrepreneur. There's something like uh, integral about those right. two roles being together. I think part of it is just comes from staying busy, yeah. right? I'm doing stuff. I'm really busy, right? People love to be busy. Whether or not it's productive, yeah. you know, so I, I don't care if you work 90 hours a week or if you work nine hours a week. It's, it's what did you get done in the period of time that you were working? So I think some of that is just I'm busy for the sake of being busy and we see it with clients all the time. But the other part of the reason that I want to have this be a guided investment um, scenario is that we are in a more risk averse investing community from a private placement standpoint. Right. So. You know, in the world of, of stocks and, and, and publicly traded securities, this town would be, you know, bond buyers, right? They're not yeah. high yield, very low risk. Let's just make my money grow over time, right? Um, so we have to be uh, cognizant of that, right? We have to think about where if we're trying to get people to invest in a new fund, frankly, run by somebody who's never run a fund before, yep. but has this operational experience, how do you leverage that operational experience and de-risk, as they say, the investment itself? So we're trying to do that in a couple different ways. But one of the big ways is, hey, we, the, they're not just taking money and we check in with them quarterly. You know, we, we want to take a seat on their board. We want to take an active role in their management and de-risk some of that investment by having really credible people involved in helping those companies grow. Well, that's a really good point. And that is... Uh, you mentioned Red Hawk, but people don't know what it is that you and I do sure. on a day-to-day basis. So Matt has a company called Red Hawk. I work with him at it. And he is uh, in operations all the time. He helps small businesses, startups, and entrepreneurs make management decisions, sales decisions, hiring decisions, uh, formulate their processes, and so on. I help companies with their marketing decisions. So if it is, whether it's a... a 
what business model they want to choose, their distribution methods, how they market it, how they build their community, their branding, and so on. So this is what we do all the time. Yeah. Just instead of investing in companies, they pay us for our services. Correct. So Correct. it's kind of um, just a different use for what we already do. Yeah, it's definitely repurposing of skills. There's no question. And translating some of the things that we've learned as best practices into those investments. So. Yeah. I feel like, and of course I'm biased, but I feel like that gives us a monster advantage over some of the more traditional uh, investment firms where it is really a financial mathematical equation, right? They look at a certain, they, they win on the buy, right? And what I mean by that is the better the company they invest in at the beginning, the higher their chances are that it, it returns a good, you know, equity, it returns good equity for it or creates alpha and all those types of terms that people like to use in financial circles. Uh, I know um, gamma. No, delta. I know delta. delta. Yeah, you know delta for sure. Um, and all of those things that you, that you want um, a company to do, but they, they have to they have to win on the buy. We, we, we wouldn't mind winning on the buy and we certainly would love to try to win on the buy, but we're going to make sure that we're doing everything that we can from an operational standpoint to improve our chances of success and to build enterprise value so that when the opportunity comes for them to take on additional funding or liquidate that that particular you know uh, investment, that there's a big return on it. It's the name of the game. It's kind of like um, house flipping. So you're you're at the point in which you're investing. You yourself are going in and adding value right. from the point at which you buy in to the point at which you sell it down the sure. down the road. You yourself are putting value. In. Yeah, and the other thing too is you think about it. It you know it's. Some of that is required at any stage of investing, whether it's growth investing, you know, it's A, B series, all of those things, which we can get into the mechanics of it later. But effectively, you, at the seed stage, at the pre-revenue stage, most of those founders have a piece of technology or they have a, some know-how that's technical, but they don't really know much about how to launch, run, grow a business. And yep. that's the gap that we hope to fill and that's the value that we hope to create in it. So just like if you were flipping a house, you know, imagine that we're master carpenters, right? And you need to totally redo the, the layout, the everything's rotten down to the you know, down to the floorboards. Well, that's where we come in and we help rebuild that house that we bought for 20 grand and then sell it for 150 grand. Similarly, uh, that same concept will work with businesses provided that it's the right match. I would like to work on the finishes, but <laughs> um, so how many people do you think will be investors? Do you think it will be like five people, the million each or a hundred people with whatever that math works out to. I honestly don't know. This concept, I think, is relatively new. And we're going to need some people that are willing to kind of be on the vanguard a little bit in this in this community. Yeah. So, you know, I, I what I what I won't be, I can tell you this, it won't be a bunch, dozens or, you know, tens of dozens of people at $10,000 a piece. That's that's not it because we can't manage a small fund with that many what are called LPs or limited partners. Yep. It's just too much administration. It's too much legal paperwork. It's too much administration. It's too much responsibility for a fund that small. So do I think it'll be five people at a million dollars a piece? That would be lovely, um, but I don't think that's the case, right? I think that the reality is going to be somewhere in the couple hundred thousand dollars 
um, uh, um, individually. Now, obviously, we won't in this podcast or in any other way go into who those people are or what their investment is. That's all very closely held information. It would never be shared. But we may have some folks that want to participate at a larger level, but I believe it'll be folks at, at the hundred and fifty to $250,000 range if I had to guess. And it's probably going to take us as much as a year to raise it. Okay, so next question. You can't do an open solicitation for funds if you're raising for your own business. Are we allowed to talk about this on the podcast? Like, call me if you want to participate? No, like, just, like, SEC-wise or whatever. Like, we're not actually going to say call me if you want to participate. No, we're but not. Well, it seem like we're doing that anyway? I guess that's for the SEC to tell us, okay. right? I mean, part of this is... You know, it, the, they'll download us on Stitcher or... Well, you know, considering we have zero followers on this podcast as of the recording, um, I think we're probably pretty safe. But there are... It's interesting, though, you bring up a good point, which is there are regulations around um, venture capital funds that are very different than, than publicly traded funds or public, public securities. Um, and that's another hurdle that we're going to have to jump through, which is we have to have people working with us, lawyers and, and otherwise, that are going to tell us, here's your lane, here's how you stay between the ditches, here's what you can do, here's what you can't do. But I will say this, in general, uh, VC funds are regulated to a much lower level with a lot less thresholds and a lot less um, compliance than, let's say, for example, a financial, financial advisory firm. Oh, okay, well, that's good. Yeah. I am very glad to hear that. And so what do you think... Um, the average tech, uh, medical tech startup will need a seed capital. Are you thinking like a hundred thousand? I mean, just as an average. Sure, sure. I think it's going to be all over the map, but a lot of it has to do with where they are and what they're trying to do. So, for example, services-based, you know, a SaaS type product. Yep. Probably not going to need as much as anything that's a product-based product. A medical device. Right. Well, and, and we're not going to be playing in the medical device field, right? Because that's FDA, that's wet labs, that's a whole bunch of trials, that's a bunch of stuff that we don't want to have. Like, for example, somebody recently was talking about um, a very simple uh, thing that attaches when you have multiple um, lines that are going in, whether they're uh, for IVs or they're for monitors or what have you. A lot of times people have four or five on them. And this is basically a little piece that goes on their forearm that, that routes all of those wires to kind of keep them from tangling up and go all that. And you think, okay, well, it's topical. It just attaches with a piece of tape. Basically, it's no big deal. There's probably going to be months of trials on that, right? And and hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in testing and retesting. And so that's not the space that we're going to play in. But depending on where they are and depending on what the product is and what the play is, that's probably going to determine more about their need on the financial side. And then, of course, it just becomes how much money for how much equity. That becomes the, the, the math of it. I hear that you can get in Theranos really cheaply right now. What? <laughs> oh, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think right now you can probably get a fire sale on their private equity uh, shares. They're um, pairing with Juicero, their, yeah. and so you can pay your own <laughs> That's <blood>. right. <laughs> so you can squeeze your own juice minus the $750 juicer and... But you know that that's those are good examples, right? Those are you know companies that received billions of dollars in, in valuations. I mean, Theranos being probably the, the biggest 
one recently that's fallen on its face, but they're far from alone. And the other thing too is this is a seller's market right now for for VC and private equity. You know, the, the, there there's a ton of money out there that needs to be invested, and so for those companies that are out there looking for capital, they're they're getting their choices. But we're also trying to do something a little bit differently, right? We're trying to do it in, in again, kind of a non you know tier one city uh, as far as investment goes, and we're trying to be really specific around health and health tech in that space. I think that's smart. I think that it is the difference between choosing one industry where not only are you sharing the tech, are you sharing the potential income, you're growing together as partners, you might share talent back and forth, you might share learning. Uh, you might have somebody who invests who has been in the field for 50 years and retired from yep. it. But you are building an industry that can last as opposed to building a one-and-done startup culture yep. or building a series of startups that can be sold to someone in California for less than they would pay for a Silicon Valley startup. Yeah, and I think that what we're, you know, we we still <laughs> we still don't know what we don't know in a lot of this, and I want to be real clear on that. And so, part of the reason for this podcast and, and is to be real honest about that and kind of peel back the curtain a little bit so people can see what it's like to go through this. So, I think it's worth mentioning kind of what we've done so far and to highlight the fact that we are like on step one and a half of we this journey. The podcast. We named the podcast. <laughs> We're recording it now. You wrote on this sheet of. Uh, copy your paper, eight bullet points. So that's pretty organized for our podcast. I don't know. So. There are two kinds of bullet points on it. So I feel pretty good about we have categor categorized bullet points. <laughs> I'm feeling good. It's a good start. So we again, we talk about this with clients all the time on the Red Hawk side, but you know, we haven't named this thing yet. We have no name, we have no website, we have no um, operating agreement. We haven't even filed paperwork, right, to be a business yet. And, and that's the right answer, I believe, at this point, because we are at the testing phase. And this is what we talk with clients on the Red Hawk, at the, on the Red Hawk side all the time. Yeah. Before you invest a bunch of capital, spend time and some resources to go out there. So, so I have. So I have visited other, um, VC funds, right? I have visited VC funds. Um, that I know pretty well and that have been incredibly transparent, you know, within the limits of what they're allowed to tell me um, about their operations, what they did when they started it a couple of years ago, what they would do differently, kind of the learnings and things like that. And now what I've started to do is I've started to talk to people that are in that community who would potentially be conduits to those high net worth individuals, those accredited investors, um, or to sources of funding. And that may come from, you know, trusts that may come from other things. There's a bunch of different kind of sources for that. But I want them to tell me I'm nuts. I want them to tell me there's no market for this. I want them to tell me, I want, I want them to talk me out of it, right? Before I go and I do anything else. So step one is talking to people about the idea that you have and getting um, some kind of clarity as to whether or not there's a market for it. Correct. Are you going to talk to people who have startups in the healthcare field and see if, seed capital was something they were looking for mm -hmm. or what you have two markets here you have the market of investors and the market of investees sure investees i don't know investable companies sure <laughs> <laughs> we'll call them that for now there's probably some technical name that we don't know it's probably ICs. 
It has to be an acronym. There's some acronym out there for it. Um, Yeah, I think that that's, I think that's true. I also think too, one of the questions that I still have that I've yet to answer is what is our ability to attract companies from outside of Birmingham to actually operate here in some way, shape or form, whether it's for a short period of time or maybe forever. You know, we have some changing conditions in Nashville and Atlanta, for example, where Nashville is getting oppressively expensive to live in. Yep. I mean, it's 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 now outpacing Atlanta by a far shot on things like rent per square foot in Nashville is excruciatingly high compared to where it was even five years ago. Mm-hmm. So do we provide a longer runway down here, right? Where office space is, is less expensive, rent is less expensive. Plus, you know, Birmingham's doing some amazing things downtown to attract the kinds of profiles that are probably going to fall into to the categories that we're going to be looking at. Those founders, you know, they're, they're a little bit younger, they're more technical. They want to be in kind of those condos downtown that are, you know, doing really well. Um, you know, so is that an ability to do it? Because the back end of this is you raise the money, but then you have to have what's called deal flow. Like you literally have to be looking at hundreds and hundreds of deals to potentially find the ones that you want to invest in. And that's not going to be here. Right. We have a handful of those maybe here that we'll look at. Um, I hope that we find a homegrown talent that, that is an investable opportunity. Um, if not, we got to, we're going to have to get on planes. We're going to have to get in cars. We're going to have to, you know, hit the motel sixes of the world and go and see and find, um, those, those, inv- those investment opportunities, those companies outside of here. Are you going to expect them to move here or are you going to invest in them where they lie? I want to get our hooks in them. Yeah. I want to be realistic about it. I, I, I'm not going to sit there and tell people, well, you know, here's $150,000. You have to move to Birmingham. That's, that's going to put us out of the deal running for a lot of good companies, frankly. But what I do think is that if we get them here, we fly them in for annual meetings, we fly them in for quarterly meetings, we expose them. Maybe we can find them the customers here again, right? That's yep. one of the things. So we're kind of thinking about pre-selling already. So there's this company out in Iowa that does this thing. I can have a conversation with UAB or with, or with the, the, uh, the VA or with St. Vincent's or Children's or whoever and go in there and say, what are you looking for? And they tell me, I can go find companies that are building those things. Right. right? So I'm, again, I'm de-risking, I'm hedging some bets here. I'm de-risking that investment. And then we bring them in and say, let me show you this customer who's very interested in what you're working on. Meanwhile, yes, we'll take them to a Barron's game, right? We'll take them into you know, Lakeview or Avondale. We'll take them downtown. We'll show them what Birmingham has to offer. We'll make connections for them. We will definitely be promoting Birmingham as a viable place for them to, to really start and grow their business. You know, Chattanooga, again, I'll go back to that as an example. It's a perfect example. They, they get people there. They show them what Chattanooga is all about. And they go, well, let me get this straight, right? I can buy twice as much house for the same money. I can have twice as nice an apartment for the same money. I have 18 months longer runway with my current you know, revenue stream or my investment than I would have where I am now. I have all these things. Oh, and by the way, it's gorgeous. Yeah. It's a ton of fun. Uh, and it's an emerging community full of other people that are doing similar things. And all of those things are reality for Birmingham. So I kind of feel like it's if we can get their, our hooks in them, we got a, a real shot at recruiting them to locate here. Cool. So what are our next steps? What are we going to be doing between now and the next podcast? So what I want to be doing now, and, and I have several of these, I, I continue to proof the concept. I need to get people to tell me what they don't like about it, what they don't think is going to work. 
and what we need to change in our approach. And so far, I've had three conversations. That's not nearly enough. And I've only had it on kind of the buy side, right? People, would we find investors for this? Is this a credible concept? We, we've had a handful of conversations. I need to have about a dozen more, and I plan to have those in the next week to 10 days. Do you think anybody would do it here on this podcast, like take my spot and talk to you about it? No idea. Much like a lot of this, I don't know the answer you to that. You should ask. This yes. make really compelling content. I think so. I think, I think that's probably a good thing for us to do as we get a little bit farther along and we get, you know, we can really lay out what this looks like in the structure of it. Because let's think about this. Okay. Let's just take a quick inventory. I have no idea who's going to be on the team with me. I have no idea what the operating model looks like. Um, I, I don't know where these investors are going to come from. I don't know what that makeup looks like. I'm not 100% sure on what that raise is going to be. I'm saying $5 million. Maybe it's six, right? Maybe it's seven. I don't know a lot of things. We've got big, we haven't named the damn thing, right? So we've got a lot of work to do. But before we even get into the nuts and bolts of that stuff, I want enough people to go through with me and say, A, I don't think you're crazy. B, I have a network that I'm willing to introduce you to or, or help you further along this, this cause. And or C, which is I want to get involved, yeah. right? In some way, shape or form. And that's the one thing that I, I, I am so proud of in Birmingham and elsewhere, but specifically in Birmingham. People are legitimately willing to help you and provide guidance and do what they can just because it's the right thing to do a lot. Um, and we're going to tap into that. We're definitely going to take advantage of that. Um, we're going to have a lot of thank you cards to write. Um, but that's what we have to do. And so between now and then, we're just going to have more conversations um, like we started to have this week. But, you know, we're on the step one and a half uh, on on this and we've got a thousand steps to go. Oh, good. Well, um, let's go carbo load. <laughs> Actually, I do have like a sloppy joe and, uh, and leftover spaghetti noodles for lunch. Oh, sounds awful. It does sound awful. I'm hungry. What can I say? So next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about the progress that we've made so far, uh, things that we've learned that we don't know, which is a lot. Uh, and we're going to keep plugging away. Hopefully, you'll join us. Uh, please leave us comments uh, below. Ask us specific questions, and we'll try to include those in the future podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye.